Welcome to Boiling Point. Sydney's underwater world has a lot to offer. There are sponge gardens, the very rare and yet docile grey nurse sharks, and the playful and always hungry blue gropers. So basically a whole world to explore. Our guest helps Sydney ciders to do exactly that, to feel at home underwater and to always keep up to date on what's currently happening in the watery element. Listen in to the story in just a moment. Welcome back to Boiling Point, the weekly science show on Eastside 89.7 FM. In the studio, it's your hosts, Kat, and our show intern, Dom. Good evening. And we're chatting with Marco Bordieri. Marco is one of the organizers of the non-for-profit organization Viz Sydney Diving Visibility Reports. Viz Sydney started as a Facebook group and platform for divers to share their diving experience and the visibility underwater at certain dive sites with the greater dive community. By now, they have expanded with a regular spot on the radio to keep the listeners up to date on the current diving conditions. In addition, they facilitate and encourage citizen science. Thanks for being our guest on the show, Marco. My pleasure, Kat. Um, I have to admit that we should have practiced your pronouncing your last <laughs> name. I tried the rolling R. I think I didn't fully succeed, but oh well, Good what can enough. you do? Good <laughs> Thank you. Marco, let's jump right in. Um, when did you start the group Viz Sydney and what was your mot motivation to do that? Yeah, so the group started in uh, 2019. And the reason was that uh, when I moved from Italy eight years ago and uh, I was a keen snorkel and diver, so I wanted to explore what the new place had to offer. So back then I was living in Ride. So every Saturday I would drive from Ride to the coast. You know, one hour drive in the Saturday, thirty dollars to park and get all your gear and get to the water and just to find out that maybe the day wasn't great. The visibility wasn't there and I couldn't see anything. So that was quite frustrating. So I I thought uh, there must be a way to maybe not predict, but at least to know what what are the conditions. You know, we know everything of what's happening above the waterline. You know, all the all the humidity and rain and sun and the wind, everything is kind of uh, measured and uh, and uh, forecasted. Underwater, we don't have a way to understand how the visibility is going to be like. The reason is that uh, there is no economic activity underwater that justifies investment of having sensors and also the complexity of having, you know, um, radio communication don't, doesn't work underwater. So. You can't actually predict. There is no service. So I say there must be a way to know at least the latest situation. So I said, would it, be, would it be great if there was a platform where divers and snorkelers could just share what they've seen and what the visibility like? You know, like I've been diving in uh, Bondi and I saw trigger, no, trigger grain of sharks and uh, the visibility was like five meters. If I could get that information, I could plan my next day dives, then we know the conditions are going to change in a few hours or maybe in a few days, but at least I would have a starting point. So that was the goal of having this Facebook group that we started and where people started sharing these conditions. And the mission initially was just to help fellow divers to get a better experience, but then uh, diversified. Yeah, clearly it did. And um, also... Uh, side question, are you from like a coastal town in Italy? I am not. I'm from Milan, so it's far away. And uh, so diving for me till eight years ago was uh, only possible when I was on holidays. So maybe a couple of weeks a year going to Red Sea or Maldives or other places. So it was very limited. And uh, I spent the rest of the year just thinking about diving, but actually practicing very little. <laughs> nice. And um, so how often do you personally go diving these days now that you're in Sydney? 
Well, that's one of the reasons why I'm happy to live in Sydney and I'm not going back, is that um, here you can just take your car and drive to a beach and just go diving. So for me, it means going uh, at least once a week during the weekend. Sometimes after work, like 6 o'clock, I can take my gear and the torch and I do night diving, which is even better than, than daily diving. And, uh, um, yeah, it's just a... a I would say the access to the water and the great experience you can live on the water, that's probably the, the, the greatest benefit for me of living in Australia. Yeah, nice. Um, how are you holding up now since for about four weeks we can't really go in the water it's and tough. dive? <laughs> <laughs> it's very tough because no one has been diving. Very few people have been diving. The conditions are not great and they were getting better and then more rain came and with the rain they run off, so the visibility is not great. And... Uh, yeah, and it's not even very very healthy sometimes to go in the water because of the pollution. So I'm still really waiting for the condition to get better, hopefully next week. Yeah, I did realize that it's always good to have a backup hobby, which is not in the water, but um, ideally somewhere indoors, right, which you can always do. But, uh, well, mm. I guess a lot of people are changing their hobbies now. And then there is not only the, the rain to to cope with, but also the swell, right? And, like, this weekend... Maybe the, sweat, the the rain would have been fine, but then the swell's picking up to six meters again. It's really sort of. annoying. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. Um, so before we move on and talk about the group a bit more, um, tell us, do you have like the most memorable experience, dive experience here in Sydney? That's a difficult question because I've had so many great experiences. Um, and I hope many more will come in the future. But probably one of the best ones was when I was... Uh, uh, snorkeling with my friend Daniel and uh, what it was at night we were at the Clifton Gardens and uh, we were looking for something that we actually didn't know what we were looking for just having a look and then we found uh, for the first time a blue lined octopus which is a very tiny octopus like five centimeters in, in size so it was the first time we saw that you know and it's potentially dangerous because of the of the venom but not just we saw this uh, octopus half a meter down on, on the pile, so it was really accessible, you can see while snorkeling, but it also has a sack full of eggs, and those eggs were hatching, so you could see all these tiny, probably two, three millimeters octopuses that were just floating around. So I think the unexpected uh, vision of uh, seeing for the first time such a famous octopus and uh, hatching with all these tiny ones floating around, I think this is one of the most memorable things. That sounds really cool for sure. What did the mother do? Did the did the mother does it, do they actually care for their babies after they hatch, or does the mother just disappear? No, they just float around because basically they are so tiny that with a bit of current they just uh, disappear, and uh, probably the mother is just happy to have get, gotten rid of the of the of the luggage. <laughs> that makes sense. So um, yeah, let's go back to um, the Viz Sydney group. So what is your main target audience? Yeah, so um, as we started, the audience were the marine enthusiasts that are part of the group. So it's a private group. It means that you need to uh, to enroll into the group. I mean, everybody can join, of course. But uh, unless you are within the group, you don't have visibility of what's happening in the group. So all these reports with the information that is published, uh, you don't get that vision. So what happened? in uh, During COVID 2020, where I find myself with a lot of time, and uh, I started looking at uh, the group with all this feed of the visibility reports. And I, I was thinking, it's just a pity that everything just scrolls down. You know, it's a feed, Facebook feed, everything just disappears. There must be a way to capture the information and uh, to just to put together some sort of uh, information for everybody to enjoy. So I started looking at these reports and I saw, for example, they were containing uh, information about uh, different sightings. There are a number of species that are seen only in specific seasons. 
and they say we know we all we know more or less that uh, Bob Jackson and uh, other other pieces come and go, but uh, we don't know exactly when, and we don't know whether year after year it's always the same period. So I started harvesting all the information and putting together some graphs about ten target species. At that stage, we had um, a easy to understand, uh, very intuitive uh, graph with the, the presence of these pieces. So I saw, I thought, well, it would be a, it would be a pity if that information just stayed within a group. So we created a page, a Facebook page, and as such, it's public. And uh, we use that as um, you know a, a public outlet for the information. And the name is uh, the Sydney Underwater Gazette. It's a gazette because in there we publish the information that is coming from the group. So the group is kind of the engine that creates all the information. We pick the best, could be the best video, could be projects on mating, uh, could be any sort of uh, you know incredible uh, sighting, and we publish on the gazette for everybody to enjoy. And then, so at that stage, the target were not the, the diving enthusiast, but uh, possibly the marine enthusiast or the people that even don't have much knowledge about uh, you know, underwater life, but could be interested in knowing more. And then we built another thing, which is the website, which is called vis, with a Z, dot org, dot au, because we realized that everything we published in the page, again, was uh, meant to be scrolling down in, into the past. So if I was looking for something that was published one month ago, it was impossible because everything is just scrolling down. So the website is our repository where everything that we produce could be the statistics about uh, the different species, the 10 species that we are tracking. Could be uh, maps. We also started doing underwater maps with something that is similar to a Google car, but underwater. So it's, uh, it's basically a combination of uh, cameras and compass and uh, GPS trailing on the surface. A number of technologies that allow us to create for the first time, because we didn't have underwater maps, so not at the quality I was expecting or hoping for. So these maps are precise and show basically the, the ecosystem underwater. We did it for Bear Island, we did it for Shark Point, we did it for Cabbage Tree Bay, and all those are available on the website. Website is for free, of course, because we are a non-for-profit organization. We don't even have advertisement on the website. So the idea is to make it uh, as accessible as possible because the more people understand what's under the waterline, the more advocates we will have. And the day somebody comes to you asking for a signature, maybe you're not a diver, you're not a snorkeler, for a signature for uh, maybe a new marine park, you may not uh, think it's worth creating a prohibition for the fisher because maybe, you know, maybe your son would like to fish one day. So you say, why should I say yes and basically limit my, my, my freedom? But if you are um, aware of what's happening, if you are familiar with those pieces because you've been reading or listening about them, then you may say, actually, I know what's happening underwater. I know there is a season for projects on a season for uh, grainers. And uh, they come, they mate, and then they disappear and they die. So the familiarity makes you an advocate. Yeah, that sounds great for sure. So that means you were, I remember there was a campaign for making Sydney Harbour and um, nearby areas, coastal areas and marine parks. So were you involved in that or like trying to, to campaign for that as well? Or was that before your time? That was before, was before we started in 2019. Yeah. Oh, okay. So yeah, I guess it might take a while till that comes up again, but um, hopefully. What, what we participated into is uh, there is a project, for example, to build a cruise ship terminal in Botany Bay, an additional one. And um, our contribution was having created the map of Bear Island, which is at the entrance of Botany Bay. 
Bear Island from outside looks like a small rock, you know, so not very important from that perspective. But if you could uh, some, somehow take the water away and look at the underlying ecosystem, you would see that the dive site is huge. It's actually 700 meters by 600 meters, 160,000 square meters. And that's the area we mapped. And in that area, we find the weedy sea dragons that are protected and uh, a number of other fish that are protected. So we were able to contribute with a map that shows Botany Bay and overlaid on Botany Bay, we have the dive site. And then there is Henry Head, there is also another dive site. So you could see the proximity of the, of the uh, ecosystem with protected species, proximity to, the, to where the, the, the mooring and the, the, the port will be built if it's built. So that was, uh, I would say, another way of in, being engaged directly within, within a campaign for promoting the voice of the, you know, the, the stakeholders, that, the fish that otherwise they wouldn't, they wouldn't be seen and they wouldn't be able to talk. So just um, if we kind of sum it up, why would that have been a problem if they built that uh, cruise ship terminal? What, is the, what would be the consequences of that? Well, there will be a, clearly some dredging because you have to allow this big ship to come into a place. And there, there is already clearly a, a marine traffic because it's a port, it's a commercial port. But by establishing another dock, you will have to create new areas, new dredging in order to allow the big ship to go there. And also the movement and the pollution. And uh, so they will come pretty close to where the people are diving, so potentially risk. And also definitely nothing good is going to happen to the environment in any case. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's actually quite amazing when you think about it that Bear Island still is such a such a good dive site considering all the industry that's in that area, right? So it's actually, yeah, almost a miracle. Yeah, I mean, there's if you speak to divers that have been diving in the Bear Island, La Perouse um, or Cornell side for a long time, um, there have been dredging events before where they dredged the channel and that always had impact on, on uh, marine diversity on a lot more sediment that settled down on whatever is, is living and that would definitely impact um, the the Bear Island community as well. Yeah, Absolutely. that makes sense. And you're also a regular guest on an ABC radio show. Tell us more <laughs> about that. Yeah, so um, a couple of years ago, yeah, it's been a couple of years now, um, because of our visibility that we acquired by promoting uh, marine life awareness and, uh, again, taking the information from the group out of the group into the page and from the page into other media, um, uh, Simon Marney, the host of uh, Saturday Mornings on ABC Radio, reached out. And uh, he was quite visionary because um, he, he made uh, room for a segment of about seven, eight minutes in the morning at uh, 6, 6.15 every Saturday morning on ABC Radio Sydney. I really hope you're a morning person anyway. <laughs> I'm not. Oh, no. I need to wake up at half past five and get a coffee and, <laughs> uh, and speak a little bit in order to have my voice uh, understandable on top of my Italian accent. So um, so he, he was visionary because he wanted an underwater segment together with uh, the fishing and the boating and the traffic and the news and so all these segments and then Maybe for the first time, I, I, I don't know whether it's the first time in the world, but uh, I never heard of uh, a segment dedicated to people that go underwater on pair with surfing that is so important in Australia, in traffic and news. And uh, the way we use this segment is eight minutes. Well, we pick, again, we pick the best from the group. We, we, we leverage what people have been posting, if there is anything particularly interesting happening during the week. Otherwise, we, we pick a species, could be the Weedy Sea Dragon. So we talk about the Weedy Sea Dragon in a way that people that are not familiar with marine life may understand. 
And then the second half of the little segment is uh, to talk about the forecast for the week. Okay, currently conditions are eight meters in Cabbage Tree Bay, five meters in uh, Bear Island. The suggestion is to go here and there by looking at the current condition and then looking at the forecast in time in in, uh, in um, swell and and wind. So it's uh, again promoting people to do the experience. I call them divers, but it's absolutely um, our target. It's absolutely also the snorkelers or free divers or any kind. So we really want to promote knowledge uh, among the people that don't have a direct experience, but they may still be interested to understand what's happening down there. Yeah, nice. That's pretty cool. So it's basically a underwater weather forecast. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. I've definitely not heard about that anywhere else either. So that's that's pretty good. And um, yeah, especially people are familiar with the ocean conditions in Sydney know how much and how quickly it changes, right? It's almost incredible. Like I've been diving for a while, but I wasn't, when I um, dived in Sydney for the first time, I wasn't aware of my, how much it changes, like really from one hour to the other. So um, yeah. yeah. Or even from one side of the bay to the other. That's right. Yes, that's yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite variable. Um, you also encourage and support citizen science. Do you want to tell us a bit more about that? What are projects you have been supporting and what's been going on? Yeah, so our members, and now we're talking about 8,500 members, um, they don't know, but they are kind of enrolled in a citizen science project without their knowledge. Because uh, when um, someone uh, spots a sea turtle, for example, they are likely to have a camera and they are likely to take a picture and post it in the group. We ask them to post picture of the turtle. We also ask them to be respectful. We have a code of self-regulation when it comes to any protected species. And also we have to be careful not to be too specific when there is um, a position of some species that could be subject to, you know, over diving in a way. So we have to balance uh, providing information, sharing information with uh, not creating uh, you know, a, a queue of people just visiting the same species. <laughs> so we have to balance everything. Anyway, with the, the pictures from the turtles, the sea turtles, what we do, we look at the cracks on the, on the skin of the head and uh, on, the, on the shell. We give them a name and a number, and uh, we are able to identify if another day someone posts uh, another picture, and we're able to say, that's the same one or that's a different one. So over three years, we've been able to identify and uh, classify 50 turtles, sea turtles. So nobody knew before how many turtles will come to Sydney in one year because it could be the same one that goes around, could be all different, and uh, there was no database. So there was the Tarunga Zoo is tracking them in terms of uh, putting a radio on a, a few of them and see where they go. So we can tell because of that uh, project where they go when they're not here in the few you know, uh, specimens that have been tracked. But nobody knew exactly how many turtles are in Sydney right now. And, but we can tell that by looking at all the reports. So and what did you, sorry, um, what did you find? So are most turtles kind of resident or do they travel a lot? What's happening there? It's very interesting because uh, I would say half of them are resident. They stay in one place and they stay up to six months and then they disappear. Now, we, this is citizen science, it's not science. So we, I can't elaborate where they go <laughs> and why they go. I have always to, to stick to the empiric evidence that we manage, you know, not to overlap with people that know what they're talking about. So I don't know where they go, but what I can tell is that uh, sometimes after a few months they come back and they always come back in the same place. So we are tracking about uh, 30 different sites uh, from uh, mainly around Sydney, and we never found a turtle in a different spot. 
So either they are in the spot where they've been seen maybe for six months and then they disappear and then we come back and they come back. But we never found any of them switching sites. So it's like they elect a, a place as their you know, residence. They like and they stay. Then some stage probably they go north because here we have the southernmost uh, end of the range for the sea turtles. So probably they go north and then when they come back, Somehow, even with the visibility that often very limited, they're able to find exactly the same corner where they used to live. So that's, uh, that's quite amazing. So this is the, the, the finding. They, they stay a few months and then they come back in the same place. That is really interesting, especially that means that they must find enough food in their little corner wherever they pick to stay, right? So, um, may it be Shelly Beach and Upper Manly or wherever. So, yeah, they have everything they need there, apparently. Yeah, Shelly Beach is probably where we found more. I think we found uh, about uh, 20 out of the 50. Oh, interesting. That's yeah. a lot. They like it. I think they like it because it's protected because of the orientation. You know, it's northwest, which is quite rare on our coast. And, and a lot of people watching. That must be fun too. Yeah. <laughs> and in, interesting, the one that stay longer, they are very chilled. They're very, you know, familiar with the, with the people they come. So they, 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 you know, you can approach them within the, you know, the, the due diligence of not getting too close. And they would just keep eating, and usually they eat this seagrass, and there is a plenty of seagrass over there. Well, when it's not destroyed by, by anchors, that's another story. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so that seems to be, like, the perfect place for them to stay uh, quite a long time. And often, also, part of the citizen science is also to look at the pictures and understand that some, of, some specimen may have some uh, overgrown uh, algae on the back or some barnacles. That's an indication that something is wrong because the turtle is not moving as much as she should. So in that case, we alert usually the uh, seabird uh, rescue, and uh, they come and they, with some volunteers, they try to collect the sea turtles. They take it, uh, you know, to a to a rescue center, and after a few months, they release them. And most of the time, they find uh, they've ingested something which is usually plastic. Could be like a balloon. Last time was a balloon, and so they help no, the, the the turtle to get rid of what has been ingested. And then they look after her and they feed them and then they put it back into the water. Oh, interesting. That is really cool. Nice. And I especially love the aspect how you're using all those like uh, this group um, users as um, yeah, silent citizen science uh, scientists, basically. Yeah, they get so excited when they see something. They ask, is, is this uh, turtle sick? Was a bit, uh, no, there was a bit of a barnacle in the back. So people just get uh, you know, involved and excited when they can actually support and be part of the recovery of a turtle. Yeah, for sure. And you have another project currently ongoing in terms of the weedy sea dragons. What's what's the story there? Yeah, so for the weedy sea dragon, um, we have found uh, a few of them on on the beach lately. And uh, so what you need to do is to um, suggest the DPI, to call DPI, and also to notify DPI that uh, the sea dragon has been found. Eventually, they end up in a studio where DNA is analyzed. And uh, by understanding the relationship, by looking at the DNA, the, the, you know, the, the proximity in the same family, they are, if they are related, they can make an estimate of, this, of the population in the water. Just imagine if they're all related, it means the population is small. If they are unrelated, it means the population is, is big. That's interesting. I remember there was a shark study um, like that a few years ago as well, which is because it's always the question, how do you actually estimate the size of a marine population, right? It's like you can't count every weedy sea dragon or every shark in the ocean, but so you do it in a kind of indirect way, which I find really clever. Yeah, it's called close skin recapture. It means that uh, you take some DNA from the specimen and then you analyze 
and uh, you don't do a recapture technically because uh, you normally what you would do otherwise you take some fish you put a tag and then you re- recapture after some time and looking at the proportion of fish that you recapture with the tag you estimate the the, the the size of the population in this case they can do just in one go by looking at the dna yeah, nice. That's really cool. And um, we we soon have to wrap up, but um, do you have any estimate, like what is the effect of these really, yeah, crazy weather conditions at the moment and the bad water quality on the marine life um, around the coasts? Is there a lot, have you noticed a lot of reports of dead cre- uh, creatures and organisms being washed up at the beaches? Yeah, definitely the Widi Dragon that we mentioned, it seems to be quite uh, fragile because they have very little locomotion, I mean, very thin, very small fin. Uh, and a number of them, at least six, has been found between uh, in, in orphan beaches. Uh, we found also a lot of um, uh, other type of fish that we found. But again, this is where I need to stop you know, articulating because I'm not a scientist, so I can't actually direct. I can say we found a number of fish on the beach, and then when we will be back in the water, we will see whether anything has changed. But why or what's happening in the future? That's something that uh, I, I can't elaborate. Sure. No, that makes sense. Um, yeah, like a quick last question. What is your vision for the group? What are you planning at the moment and what do you hope to develop in the near future? Uh, at the moment, we would like to expand our reach in terms, again, it's ex- exactly with the same formula. So providing information to the people that are not rich with information. We have, a, we have a proposal, we're talking with the Northern Beaches Council about a website that we would like to collaborate to build by providing information. So again, information from the group gets for, you know, um, formatted and presented in a simple way. At the moment, they have this uh, paper signage, which is uh, a static uh, paper with all the pictures. It's been there for many years. It's interesting, but it's not, you know, it's not uh, informative enough. If you had the website where every month there is different information about the species of the mouth and uh, visibility conditions and uh, special sightings, the story of the of the turtles, I think people will be more engaged and there will be we will be promoting more people to get into the water. Again, if they're not going to in the water, they still will get a better understanding. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, um, that was that was really interesting and really amazing work. So thanks for telling us all about uh, about the group. And we'll of course share the the link to the group and the website on our post um, for the for this episode. Um, you brought along a song which is not ocean related, but uh, what's the song you picked and why did you pick it? Ah, uh, it's a. Maybe tomorrow, and uh, I wasn't expecting this question. Anyway, it's a little <laughs> bit uh, the story of my life, always looking for something and moving and uh, taking the, way, the, the, the long way uh, to come back home and uh, sometimes getting a bit bored. And uh, so this is, I think I can relate to this song personally, but oh. nothing to do with the fish. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, though. That's a really good story. And maybe tomorrow we will be able to go back in the water. Well, maybe not tomorrow, <laughs> but the day after then. Or at um, least next week. that's right it would be nice yeah this was Boiling Point the weekly science show on Eastside 89.7 FM and thanks so much again for being our guest Marco thank you for having me and um, thanks everyone for listening we will be back with a new science story next week and before we finish up we will listen to the song uh, maybe tomorrow by the Stereophonics (laughs) bye for now